Turn with me, please, to our preaching text this morning. And really, I've, all, I've already preached on this to you two weeks ago with a view to concentrating on one statement, one phrase that's found in this, um, this text. But turn with me to Hebrews chapter 6, and we'll read again verses 13 through 20. Hebrews, the sixth chapter, verses 13 through 20. This is God's holy word. Let us pray. Father, we pray that by your Holy Spirit, your word be proclaimed in such a way that our hearts are encouraged and built up in the most holy faith of Jesus Christ. And if there be one here who does not know the Savior, that they would come to see him for who he is. And by your Holy Spirit, put their faith and trust in him alone. In his holy name we pray. Amen. Hebrews chapter 6, beginning at verse 13. God's holy word. For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply you. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation, we who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which enters the presence behind the veil, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. May the Lord give his Holy Spirit to us that we might receive blessing from his word. This morning I follow up the exposition I gave uh, here to this congregation two weeks ago on Hebrews 6, 13 through 20. Uh, and I follow it up with a what we would call in uh, the uh, science of homiletics, the science of preaching, a textual sermon. Uh, normally, Pastor Tomlinson preaches to you an expository sermon. You take a, a, a one piece of scripture that holds together in one thought and you proclaim that, work your way through it. A textual sermon, there, and not many preach this way today, but when I was growing up, this was the normal. I'm glad we've gone to the expository style for the normal. But the advantage of a textual sermon is you back up when you use it properly and you look at one aspect of what you've already covered. And kind of like you take a microscope to it and say, let's really look at it more intensely here and let's apply it more thoroughly. And so um, I am t- preaching on the phrase in verse 19, this hope we have as an anchor of the soul. An anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, in which enters the presence behind the veil. Now this text has been a source of comfort and strength for God's people throughout the ages. Uh, If I asked how many Christians here in this room have found great encouragement 
in times of difficulty or temptation from the very expression uh, that our hope in Christ is an anchor of the soul, most hands would grow up would be put up if, if, as far as anybody who's been a Christian for any length of time. This text has been an encouragement and a means of grace more recently in a special way to Pastor Nathan and Holly. And so they asked me to preach on this text on the occasion of the baptism of Ezra Maya. My hope is that this text will be a source of great comfort and assurance for every one of us today. As our insurance is assurance of our uh, glory, our heavenly home uh, is increased, uh, so is uh, our giving glory to God for His grace. Our joy in the Holy Spirit is increased. And therefore our witness to the world and our motivation to godly living uh, is increased and strengthened. And our steadfastness through trials and troubles and temptations and failures is increased and more evident to those around us as our assurance is strengthened and increased. Uh, If you've not read recently the chapter in the Westminster Confession of Faith on Assurance, all those points I just made are brought out in that chapter. The chapter says, you know, there is a, a strong assurance we can have a certainty that we are God's children in Christ and that because of who Christ is and what he did, we have uh, this blessed hope of eternal glory. And it says it's the duty of the Christian uh, to uh, use the means of grace and strive after that full assurance because it does all of those things by increasing our joy and strengthening our motivation to live to God's glory out of gratitude for this great salvation. Our witness is stronger. Um, Our ability to endure trials and temptations is increased. And so this is an important subject. And here is my approach uh, to this expression in this textual sermon. I'm just going to quickly review what I said two weeks ago. I'm not going to go over the whole sermon. I'm just going to touch on this part of it. And then I'm going to show three other places where the word for anchor uh, is used in the in the Bible. There are only three other places. That's this isn't a common word. And actually, we get our word anchor, I think, from the Greek because the the Greek is ankura, and you can almost hear the word anchor in there. And then I'm going to close with what I, I just for lack of a better term, some brainstorming on my part as to how this idea of this anchor of the soul is such a great help to, for us as believers. So the context, as we saw two weeks ago, the overall paragraph is this. Our hope, and remember, when we talk about hope in uh, the language of the Bible, it's different than how the word hope is usually used in uh, modern and postmodern America. Uh, In postmodern, modern America, I was growing up, um, you know, I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow means... Uh, who knows, it probably will, but I, I wish it wouldn't. And that's not at all how the word hope is used uh, in the, the Bible. The word hope in the Bible is really more like our word assurance or certainty. Um, but it's not just, it's an assurance of what's to come. It's a certainty or a confidence of what is to come. So it, it isn't just an assurance right now. 
but it's an assurance of what's been promised or what I'm anticipating. And uh, it's as if it's as, as, as uh, I know it's going to happen, it's as if it's already here now. And uh, that's, that's how the word hope's being used. So this, this assurance, this hope, this confidence of eternal life in Jesus Christ originates from and is strengthened by God's covenant he made with Abraham. And I'm, I went into that a little bit more two weeks ago, how the covenant with Abraham is really the, um, the seed for the new covenant in Christ. In the New Testament, uh, we have this connection between the covenant with Abraham and the covenant with believers in Christ. Uh, the new covenant fulfills the covenant with Abraham. And the covenant with Abraham includes the promise of a, a coming seed of Abraham, a coming descendant, by whom all the families of the earth would experience blessing. It's a reference to the new covenant. And so we have this covenant and God confirms his covenant to Abraham with a promise. And then as if God could ever, the God of truth, could ever break a covenant anyway, or could ever fail to keep one of his promises, uh, but just for our sakes, he throws in an oath. He swears that he'll keep the promise. Swears in the sense of a legal oath, a legal commitment to us that he's going to He's going to keep this promise of salvation by this coming seed of Abraham. And we're to base our hope on that covenant, that promise, that oath. Did you catch that in our last hymn? How Christ is, you know, our rock and his oath, his covenant, his blood. Did you catch that? That, that hymn is based on this text. Now, he's not, he doesn't pick up on the theme of anchor there per se. But he's dealing with the fact that we have this confidence because God has entered into covenant with us in his son, Jesus Christ. And he's made a promise and he's, he's made an oath that he's going to confirm that promise. And that's where our assurance comes from. Not from looking within. This is really important because, especially as younger Christians, I think we ought to make this mistake. We, we kind of keep feeling our spiritual pulse, and how do I feel? Do I think I'm really saved or not? And that's the, that will never work to give you a, a, a true biblical lasting assurance. You look away from yourself, and you look to Christ. You look away from yourself, you look to his completed work of atonement. This is exactly what Hebrews is telling these um, struggling, tempted Jewish Christians to do. Look to what God has done in Christ. And there you have a certainty of uh, hope. You have the certain hope of eternal glory in him. And uh, so this hope of eternal life and eternal glory in Jesus Christ in verse 19 then, is called the anchor of our soul. An anchor keeps the ship steady and immovable. When everything around is changing and moving, this assurance of Jesus Christ is what keeps us steady and immovable in the midst of the storms of life's trials and temptations. This 
this assurance is what keeps us steady in our faith of Jesus Christ. The ship is only as steady as the anchor is able to hold fast. This anchor of our soul, the the assurance of God's eternal blessing in Jesus Christ is a is a uh, certain, sure, steady, holding fast anchor. It's firm, it's steadfast, it will never, never give way. And again, what is this anchor? It's our assurance in Jesus Christ. And what is it anchored to? What is that place of ultimate refuge from which it will never let go and never let us go? Well, verse 20, the inner place behind the curtain or behind the veil. A clear reference to the temple, the holy of holies, the innermost place in the Old Testament ceremonial worship that symbolized the place of God's special presence. Behind the innermost set of curtains, curtains that were torn in two from top to bottom when Jesus died and opened up the way to God for sinners. In other words, this anchor is grounded in God himself, in heaven. And that's because this this anchor, this hope, is in Jesus Christ. And where is the resurrected Jesus? He is at the right hand of the Father. He is at the center of the heaven of heavens. And he's seated on a throne there. His work of atonement completed forever. That's where our hope is. And of course, how could it ever be moved? How could, how could it ever become unsteady if that's what our hope is in? It's in God himself. This promise, this oath confirms our hope or assurance that we'll be forever with God in heaven, accepted by him forever because of our great high priest, Jesus the Christ. Now that was what I, what I had said basically right there two weeks ago as we were looking at this whole text. Now, I'd like us to think about the only other uses of the word anchor, uh, ankura, in the New New Testament or in the Bible period. And uh, in this text we're looking at, this is the only metaphorical and spiritual use. You know, you have uh, Jesus as the light, and you could go to quite a few texts to think about Jesus as the light of the world or the light of salvation. But as far as the anchor, this is it. Right here in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 9. The anchor of the soul. But there are three other uses in the New Testament in the Bible. They're all found in the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 27. If you want to turn there, you can, or I'll read the verses to you. And here it's used of literal, physical anchors. And I thought this was interesting because when the apostle uses... The word anchor metaphorically, uh, whenever you use a, a figure of speech metaphorically, you have to have some idea of the literal use or the literal meaning of that word to understand what the metaphor is or what, what the analogy is. You know, when I say Jesus is the light of the world, we think about lights, the sun and the moon and the stars or our electric lights or a candle or an oil lamp, and we know what they're used for. And that helps us understand what we mean when Jesus is the light of, of, uh, of life. What, what does it mean that Jesus is, uh, or that our hope in Jesus is that anchor of the soul? So in Acts uh, 27, 
Uh, I'm going to read to you verses 27 through 29. Now when the 14th night had come, the 14th night that they had been in the midst of, I guess, a hurricane, I don't know what else you'd call it, uh, in the ship on the, on the sea, uh, as we were driven up and down in the Adriatic Sea about midnight, the sailors sensed that they were drawing near some land, and they took soundings and found it, found it to be 20 fathoms. And when they had gone a little further, farther, they took soundings again and found it to be 15 fathoms. Then fearing lest we should run aground on the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, when they let down the skiff into the sea, upon pretense of putting out anchors from the prow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men remain in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the skiff and let it fall off. So the sailors first dropped four anchors from the stern or the rear of the ship to keep them from being driven by the force of the, uh, the, the hurricane kind of weather onto a shore that was not uh, a place to harbor. It was not a sandy beach. It was a rocky uh, at, at most times, when there's not a storm, this is still what would look like a stormy place to us. It's a rough sea at this particular point. And there are big rocks there for the, the shoreline instead of you know, a beach that you can, you can try to uh, steer your ship to. And so they dropped the four anchors to keep them from being driven in and, and smashing upon these huge rocks by the rough seas. And later, when the sailors thought about abandoning the ship and leaving those who didn't know how to steer a ship uh, to fend for themselves, they pretended that they were going to drop uh, more anchors from the prow or the front of the ship. And uh, all of this would, be, would have been to keep them from being dashed forward onto the rocks and the rocky coast there in the midst of this rough sea. The only other occurrence of the word anchor is in the same chapter, Acts 27, verse 40. When it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they observed a bay with a beach under which they planned to run the ship if possible. And they let go of the anchors and left them in the sea, meanwhile loosing the rudder ropes, and they hoisted the mainsail to the wind and made for shore. But striking a place where the two seas met, they ran the ship aground, and the prow stuck fast and remained immovable, but the stern was being broken up by the violence of the waves. So we see here again, the anchors had worked to keep them back from crashing into the rocky shore. The problem was that uh, just being kept there in that storm, they were still going to be in trouble. And so how did they move into the shore? They had to cut the anchors because anchors kept you in one place. Anchors had kept you steady and they... They had to do a kind of a controlled plan crash landing, you might say, hoping that they would survive, and, and the Lord did cause them to survive. So that, that, there we're looking at what an anchor is. It gave stability, especially in the midst of storm and turmoil, and it kept one then from a disaster on the sea. It helped in the midst of great turmoil not to be moved off course. Spiritually, then, the anchor of our soul, the assurance of our salvation because of God's absolute guarantee of the gospel is what enables us to persevere in difficult times. It protects us, whether in good or bad weather, speaking spiritually. 
speaking metaphorically. There are temptations for the Christian, both in the easy times and the difficult times. And if you've not yet learned to recognize the particular temptations that come when everything seems to be going well for you earthly-wise, you still need to grow some spiritually because sometimes those temptations are more tricky to see and harder to overcome than the temptations that may come during the real difficult trials of life. But uh, this assurance of our salvation is what keeps us stable at all times uh, so that we are not driven to destruction by the waves of temptation and the waves of tribulation. This gospel assurance reminds us that nothing can separate us from his love. So let me do a little bit of what I call brainstorming. It's going to be a little bit shorter sermon, I think, this morning. This anchor is our assurance or our hope or our strong confidence. He uses all those words. The author to the Hebrews does. And we see this from the Greek. Strong consolation, uh, we, we know, was his antecedent from the gendered number and case of um, the, the word this. If you look at verse 19, did you notice this hope? The hope is in italics. See, it's not there. The demonstrative pronoun this is what he uses. This we have as an anchor of the soul. So you've got to go back and find the, the antecedent. You've got to find the main noun it's referring to. And in the original language, it's not Jesus directly who's our anchor, you see. He's, it's a different gender. It's a feminine gender, which the word hope, you see, and the word assurance are both feminine. That's what he's referring back to. So they have rightly, in the New King James, helped you who can't see it in the Greek, see it in the English, this hope, this hope we have in Jesus is the anchor of our soul. And uh, this hope, this strong consolation, those words, uh, certainty, uh, these are different possible translations, and these different terms are used with interchangeably uh, in the book of Hebrews. Hope means assurance of the good things to come. Uh, you know, faith is the, what, the substance of things hoped for, you know, as if it was here right now. But it's not here right now. Heaven's not here yet. You're not yet in heaven. But as if you were. Faith in Jesus enables us to have this hope, this confidence, uh, this assurance and our assurance of salvation, and again, we have it not by looking at our emotional state, but by looking at the objective work of Christ on our behalf. And in doing so, by claiming the promise God has made in the gospel, this trusting in Jesus, this certainty in this gospel is our anchor. It keeps us steady in our faith, even during the storms of life, so that we're not tossed here and there, and so destroyed in various crashes of life, as we find is true of those without Christ. Sometimes Anna and I will think about the trials of life and we'll say, how does anybody who's not a Christian get through this? 
I don't know, you know, you, you wonder how they survive. And often uh, their life does fall apart in some of the things I'm thinking of. Maybe their marriage and their family falls apart because they're, they're unable to handle uh, or to cope with what happens to them or, or uh, they fall off into alcoholism or some other uh, something else that controls them and destroys their life because they don't have the anchor that we have uh, to, to hold, hold them fast. So um, in the Westminster Confession of Faith, let me just read to you this one segment from chapter 18, section 3. This infallible assurance does not so belong to the essence of faith, but that a true believer may wait long in conflict with many difficulties before he be a partaker of it. Yet being enabled by the Spirit to know the things which are freely given him of God, he may without extraordinary revelation and the right use of ordinary means attain therein too. And therefore it is the duty of everyone to give all diligence to make his calling and election sure. He's quoting First Peter there. That thereby his heart may be enlarged in peace and joy in the Holy Spirit and love and thankfulness to God and in strength and cheerfulness in the duties of obedience, the proper fruits of this assurance, so far is it from inclining one to looseness. The Roman Catholics said, if, you, if, you can, if we had assurance and knew we were going to go to heaven, we'd live ungodly lives. And the Protestant preachers said, you think so? Just watch us preach the true gospel and see how those who are convinced they're saved only by grace are the only ones who take seriously repentance. Out of gratitude, they're the only ones who begin to make some progress in putting off the old life and putting on the new. And that's exactly what church history has shown us. So the solid ground uh, the anchor is attached to in heaven, I believe in our text, is Jesus Christ. In other words, Jesus is the rock. He's the rock. You know, that's... Uh, if I, I assume, and I'm not a sailor, but if the, the anchor goes down and it's incredibly loose sand on the bottom, I would think that you know it may not it may not hold the ship that steady because the anchor can give and come up through that sand. But if it hits rock and catches on just right on that rock, then that's not going to move. That's going to keep you. And I think that's what he's saying here that Jesus. Uh, is the rock that our anchor is rooted deeply in. And where is Jesus right now? He's in heaven. So your anchor, you know, if if anchor is your trust in him, your hope and confidence in him is rooted, you know, is, is in Jesus. And he is, you know, that's your anchor. And it's rooted in Jesus. And Jesus is in heaven. Therefore, your anchor of your soul is already deeply held firm in heaven. That's where, that's where it's all going to end for you in eternal glory in heaven. Jesus has entered into heaven in our place. He's already dealt with that. You know, he's using the metaphor of the anchor here, rooted deeply in heaven, and, and we're safe and secure in Jesus. Uh, he's already dealt with it a little bit more... Um, 
literally maybe in, in one sense when he talked about Jesus as our great high priest who has ascended into heaven interceding for us. It's the same idea. He's just, he's just using this metaphor here with the anchor. Jesus is in heaven. And what is he doing in heaven? He's seated upon a throne and he's ruling over all his and our enemies. And that's what we're going to see in the end in, in glory. He has entered to heaven to intercede for us, a vital part of our perseverance and assurance. He has entered into heaven to guarantee our place, for we are in union with him, and so are there in him. And, uh, you know, if, if, um, if I was best friends with the President of the United States and you were another one of my friends, I probably could get you in to see the, the President. You know, if we were good pals... You know, we know what it is to, to know the right person or not know the right people. We know the right person. See, he's already in heaven. He's seated on the throne, much higher than a president. And he's our Savior. So let me just, I'm going to close, and this will just take a minute here. Matthew Henry, this is a, a edited version of this text. The consolations of God are strong enough to support his people under the heaviest trials. Here is a refuge for all sinners who flee to the mercy of God through the redemption of Christ according to the covenant of grace, laying aside all other confidences. We are in this world as a ship at sea, tossed up and down, and in danger of being cast away. We need an anchor to keep us sure and steady. Gospel hope is our anchor in the storms of this world. It is sure and steadfast, for it could not keep us so. The free grace of God, the merits and mediation of Christ, and the powerful influences of his Spirit are the grounds of this hope, and so it is a steadfast hope. Christ is the object and ground of the believer's hope. Let us therefore set our affections on things above, and wait patiently for his appearance, then we will certainly appear with him in glory. And then uh, one of my um, favorite poets uh, from the line of the Puritans, uh, one of the later Puritans, Isaac Watts, How oft have sin and Satan strove to rend my soul from thee, my God. But everlasting is thy love, and Jesus seals it with his blood. The oath and promise of the Lord, joined to confirm the wondrous grace. Eternal power performs the word and fills all heaven with endless praise. Amidst temptations sharp and long, my soul to this dear refuge flies. Hope is my anchor, firm and strong, while tempests blow and billows rise. The gospel bears my spirit up. A faithful and unchanging God lays the foundation for my hope in oaths and promises and blood. Let's pray together. Our Father, we put all our hope by your grace alone at work within us by your Holy Spirit. We put all our hope in Jesus, your eternal Son, our only Savior and mediator with you the one who came and for us died and rose again, has ascended to your right hand, 
and there intercedes for us. Thank you that you have given us an understanding to know him for who he is. And you've enabled us to put all our trust and hope in him alone. And that this hope is a sure and steady anchor of the soul. Lord, how we bless you and give you glory through Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, Turn please to the hymn of response, Christ the sure and steady anchor.
have this wonderful opportunity this morning to witness the baptism of Ezra Tomlinson. And so I'd like to ask Holly and Nathan and Ezra and Mia to come forward. Brothers and sisters, you'll find in the bulletin uh, the questions and what we'll be going through and reading uh, in this morning. So, just a uh, a reminder that, uh, or just to help us to better understand Westminster Shorter Catechism, the answer to question 94. Baptism is a sacrament wherein the washing with water in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit does signify and seal our ingrafting in Christ and partaking of the benefit of the covenant of grace and our engagement to be the Lord's. And the Catechism for young children. The question is, what does your baptism bind to what does your baptism bind you? The answer to be a true follower of Christ. Nathan, Holly, do you believe that the Bible consists of the Old and New Testament to be the Word of God? and its doctrine of salvation to be the perfect and only true doctrine of salvation? Do you acknowledge that although our children are conceived and born in sin and therefore are subject to condemnation, they are holy in Christ by virtue of the covenant of grace and as children of the covenant are to be baptized? And do you promise to teach Ezra diligently the principles of our holy Christian faith revealed in the scriptures of the Old and New Testament and summarized in the confession of faith of this church? And do you promise to pray regularly with and for Ezra and to set us uh, set an example of piety and godliness before him. And do you promise to endeavor by all means that God has appointed to bring Ezra up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, encouraging him to appropriate for himself the blessing of uh, the blessing and to blessings and to fulfill the obligation of the covenant. Amen. And Nathan. Ezra, Maya, Tomlinson, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 
and beloved congregation. As Ezra is baptized as a covenant member of Christ's visible church, we are each obligated to love him and to receive him as a member of the body of Christ. For we are all baptized by one spirit into one body and therefore are members of one another. Christ claims this little one as his own and calls you to receive him in love and commitment. Therefore, you, we, ought to uh, commit ourselves before God to assist Ezra and his parents in his Christian nurture by godly example, prayer, encouragement, in our most precious faith. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, what a precious thing it is to be able to witness Ezra being baptized into the covenant church. And we pray, we pray that you will be with Nathan and Holly and Mia as he grows and as he learns. And he's, we pray that there will be that one day when he will come to faith and recognize you as his Lord and God, confessing his sin before you. And Lord, we pray that you will be with each one of us in this congregation as we commit to work together with Holly and with Nathan in this endeavor. We commit Ezra into your hands in Jesus' precious name. Amen.